The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy, your host. And on this podcast, we have Andy Porter from the Broad Institute. He's the chief people officer. And he early in the podcast, he talks about the very unique structure at the Broad Institute. And because of that structure, some of the management leadership and HR solutions that are required to ad- address it. It's enjoyable to hear when Andy describes when he first got his reputation of being an innovator. And he talks about implementing innovation and progressive practices in HR. For example, he discusses when he put in place an open slash unlimited vacation policy and another time that he delinked bonuses from performance. Also, Andy has hired many non-HR people to take HR roles in organizations he's worked at. And he talks about why he's done this, to what success, impact, and that's an interesting discussion as well. Before we go to this podcast, I want to tell you about episode five, and we have Marilyn Hausman, the VP of HR at Harvard University, coming up. So stay tuned for that one in a couple of weeks. And now I bring you Andy Porter. Well, Andy Porter, welcome to the Hennessy Report. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks for making the time. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, our relationship goes way back since we were both on the board of the Human Resource Council. Now defunct. Now defunct, but (laughs) way back in the early 2000s. That's right. Long time ago now. Yeah, it's no longer around. That's too bad. I think part of it was because it was an evening event. People don't like to go to association events anymore at at night, but some people said it was your fault that we're no longer well, you know, around, that's, that's, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was one of the last presidents, so I'd have to take some of the blame there. But it was good. It was good for me in my career, um, early in my career, just to be part of the HR community. And I know you are, um, it probably helps you as well. Yeah, no, for me, I, I think what I liked most about it, I mean, that was really early in my career. So I got the opportunity to meet people and network with folks that I never would have had the chance to, you know, kind of in my day-to-day work. So I look back fondly at the, on those years. And I was a lot younger, so that's part of the reason why I look back fondly on those years as well. That's <laughs> true. And, you know, and now we both uh, have a little bit of a connection to Nira, who's in cooperation with the podcast, and you're a new board member to Nira. Right. Congratulations. Right. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be part of such a great organization. Yep, and they had a great conference, some great speakers down, and Cape Cod again this year, so... Yeah, it was like summer down there, even though it was uh, <laughs> September. So. <laughs> I know. After the last few years, it's been cold and rainy. So I think right. uh, Tracy and the team were very happy to finally have some good weather down there, although most of the time is spent indoors. So, uh, yeah, so you were you had started your first entree into the biotech world because mm-hmm. you were, I think, at DIAX at that point, That's a right. smaller biotech. Yep. Um, yep. Did you pursue biotech purposefully or did that happen by coincidence of some sort? You know, I, early on, it was, it was part of, it was on my list of things or, or, or types of industries that I wanted to be, you know, exploring. But, um, you know, I think I fell in love once I found my way into the biotech world. Uh, but initially, I was interested in being in healthcare, and this is kind of an extension of, you know, the healthcare, healthcare realm. Right. The life, the life, yeah, the life sciences, sciences, life sciences right. realm. Well, it turned out to be a really good choice because I, when I joined Keystone in 2000, I remember, it seemed like healthcare, you know, the traditional healthcare, uh, financial services were much bigger industries. Right. I don't, I think we might have the biggest industry here on this side of the river in Boston. I, right I think now. so. I think so. So I, I've, I've worked in Kendall Square 
pretty much my entire career. So in, actually in one square block for the most part. And it has been amazing just to see how much growth has happened in this one square. I mean, quite literally, things that used to be parking lots are now, you know, major buildings that are filled to the brim with with uh, scientists. So it's it's been quite a transformation just in the last, you know, 15 or so years. Right. I, it's funny you mention that. I remember in 2009, walking in downtown financial district in Boston, and it was kind of that eerie feeling. Early 2009, yeah. the whole market had collapsed. People weren't even going off for lunch. It was like a ghost town midday. And then in the same week, I would come to Kendall Square, and it looked like we were in a different world. You know, there's right. some immunity. No, that's the part of the podcast, you know, biotech immunity. We have one every time. Very witty. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for that lie, Andy. Um, it does seem incubated from that quarterly business trend that a lot of, it's a longer term. Yeah, I think it's a longer term industry. So there's, the, I think there's different dynamics at play. I think it's, it's. The industry itself is so so integrated with academia and the hospital, so it's it's not a standalone thing. It's got so many different connections throughout that I wouldn't say it's you know totally immune um, or anything like that. But I think there's just different dynamics at play, and it, uh, there's a bit more resilience, perhaps, uh, the work that we're doing. Right, and the right the funds don't even just come from you know the, the ability to have profits. For example, the institution you work at now. Yeah, yeah, we're a nonprofit. Right. So there's many ways to, to do this. Do funding this right. comes from the Broads and Eli. So along those non, not-for-profit lines, why did you choose to join the Broad? Yeah. I mean, you asked me earlier about, um, you know, why did I, did I choose life sciences as a, as a kind of a field? And, you know, I think once I got into life sciences, I realized that there's a lot of good that I could do from the HR side. So I'm never going to be a scientist, um, but I... Yeah, really saw that you know, a lot of really great drugs uh, sometimes struggle to make it to patients, not because the drugs didn't work, but because you know, there's a lot of organizational things that get in the way. So I felt like this is a real place that I can make a meaningful difference in people's lives. So the Broad is, is a, you know, just an extension of that. Uh, the Broad exists um, to you know, advance biomedical research, share that knowledge freely with the world. So it's just a whole different model. So I was really compelled to come work for a place that was, you know, truly set up to do good in the world. And, you know, has, has, has challenges like any organization, but we're not worried about profits. We're not worried about shareholders. You know, we truly are just trying to advance, advance science. So it's, it's been a, it's a pretty amazing place. How do they, then how does a, an organization like this hold itself accountable, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have in the, you know, even when you're at Merrimack and Diax, there is these financial goals. Yeah. So how do, what are the metrics that you use to monitor organizational yeah. progress and success? Like yeah. how do the people that fund this organization? Yeah, so we definitely have accountability, you know, right. we definitely held right. accountable. So I mean, you know, the three ways in which we typically, you know, engage with people are, you know, federal funds, federal grants. So there's, there's clear metrics there that we have to deliver on. Um, you know, philanthropic donors. So these are people who care deeply about a particular disease area. And they're, if they're giving us money, they typically want to make sure that we're making significant progress. And increasingly, the last few years, we have a number of partnerships with pharmaceutical organizations that, that are very, you know, traditional in the sense that, you know, we have agreements of things that we expect to get, you know. From, there's from outcomes that yeah, they're there's, holding there's, there's outcomes. accountable yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'd say more than, more than anything else, you know, the bird is a place where people can come who have, you know, really fantastic scientific ambitions. Like, this is a place where those can be enabled. Um, and that, you know, is really, I think, the secret sauce of what we do here. And, you know, it's it's interesting because you this is a very different kind of organization. It's very unique. A lot of people don't even know much about it. And maybe right. you could talk about the structure a little bit because a lot of people are not even on your payroll. 
Right, that, right. Do their yeah, work here? The, I don't want to say they even work here. They work. They is, do their work here. This is probably the most unique place I've ever worked uh, in, in my life. So the Broad's about four thousand people, um, but the Broad is a partnership between Harvard, MIT, and all the teaching Harvard teaching hospitals in the Boston area. Um, so part of that agreement means if you're, for example, a faculty member at one of our partner institutions, you can you can join the Broad to do your science here, and you can bring members of your lab uh, here to do work. So that means you know physical space sometimes. It could mean, you know, help with getting funding. It could mean all sorts of things. But you're part of the community. So of those 4,000 people, we pay probably 15 or 100 or so people, you know, as a traditional, we sign a check for you. But everybody else, it's really a coalition of the willing. Um, so these folks come here because the work is compelling, because the people are amazing, and because they can really feel like they can make an impact here. But I have none of the levers that you would have in a traditional organization. So I, I can't I can't promote anybody. I can't pay them any more money. I can't give them a new title. It truly is about the culture. And if the culture isn't fantastic, they'll just go back to work where they already work and they're already getting paid. So it's, it's a real, it's a real interesting challenge from an HR, HR perspective. Is the experience for the people that are in that type of arrangement with you different than the people that are actually employees of the bro? Do you think the experience that they have here is very similar to the people that are actually on your payroll? Mm -hmm. Or is it? Yeah, I think when they're here, it's similar. We try our, you know, our best to make sure that, um, you know, we're not drawing distinctions, right, between, you know, someone who's an affiliated member and an employee. So walking down the hall, you wouldn't know the difference. It's not a special badge that somebody wears or anything like that. You know, people who come from other organizations, they're kind of like dual citizens. So they, they do have their home institution. So they have to um, really want to come here to, to navigate some of those, you know, different ways in which of working. Well, your employees always know if they're on a project, somebody that's an employee or not, or there, sometimes there are projects they don't even know that the people on this yeah, team are... We, we don't tell them unless, yeah. they, unless they share that. Um, I mean, the Broad is really a place to convince people together. So, so we're, we're, we're more or less agnostic about where you work right. and who pays you. Um, you know, but if you come here, we're going to help enable your science, and that's right. really what people care about. So the question I'm asking is a question that people here aren't right. even really thinking about. It's right. not of importance. No, it's not, it's not relevant, relevant, really. It's just there's people that come here that want to do great work, and... Yeah, if somebody pays them, that's good, but it doesn't really matter to them who. What about the science? Just to, you know, I want to talk about HR real soon and talk about, because um, there's some questions for you about your approach to HR. But what about the science? What are the kinds of science, you know, therapies or the kind of work that Broad is foremost focused on now? Right, right. So the Broad, um, if you go in the Wayback Machine, about the time that you and I met, uh, was formed after the success of the Human Genome Project. So the whole premise of the Broad is predicated on, I had, well, not the whole I wasn't there, but right. you know, two things I think that are important looking back. One is um, a new way of doing science, so this idea that you would collaborate across boundaries of all types, disciplines, organizations, geographies. And that's really, what I think, what was learned. One of the major things that was learned about how science is done through the Genome Project um, Less competition, more collaboration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, instead of, you know, just breakthrough discoveries weren't going to happen in one individual's lab with one postdoc kind of head down doing their thing. It was going to be this this collaborative um, way in which to work. And I think the second thing was really, you know, expanding on the promise of understanding the genome. So everything we do at the Broad is somehow, um, you know, is underpinned by you know, the understanding that we have of human genome, uh, of genetics, and applying that as best we can to, you know, unlocking the mysteries of different diseases. So the work we're doing here um, is it really spans the range, right? So we've got a number of different disease areas we're focused on. So, for example, cancer, infectious disease, and we take on things that others wouldn't touch, like tuberculosis, malaria, um, Zika. Um, you know, we're heavily involved in, in. And why wouldn't others touch it? 
Um, there's different economics, right? So I think for a pharmaceutical company, you know, those are smaller indications and not necessarily of interest. Um, but I think less chance of finding success. Yeah, less chance of finding success financially for them. But I think right. for the Broad, um, it's a tough scientific challenge. But you know, because of the model that we have here, we have the ability to take on these high risk projects, and that's where having really visionary philanthropists, for example, who care about this stuff, really helps us take on things that others others can't. So that's an example. And then then our work in psychiatric disease. Um, you know, we've we've were you know the beneficiaries of a very um, substantial you know gift from the Stanley family many years ago, and you know that's that's really become one of the buildings is named after the yeah, Stanley. We are in this building, one, yes, the building yeah. we're in now, right? Um, but that's really given us a chance to under um, to, to really try to unlock some of the secrets of um, psychiatric disease and you know some of the genetics underpinning those diseases. So it leads me to my next question. Remember, shift into HR a little bit. I imagine just that knowing all that that you're in an organization that's mission-driven, that attracts a different kind of person and yeah. probably the kind of person you're you're looking to bring into a purpose-driven organization. So yeah. you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, from a practical perspective, I mean, we are, Broad is a nonprofit in the midst of a booming for-profit cluster of you know, biotech and pharmaceutical companies. So, you know, we need to be unique in, in many ways because that's how we're going to attract, you know, really fantastic talent. And one of the ways in which we do that is by, you know, really being clear on our purpose and what it is that we're here to do. And, and, I, and I think in the last few years, I've really um, come to appreciate that um, the more focused you are on your purpose. So it's not, you know... Um, when I ask you what you do, you know, it's not, well, I run experiments and, you know, I get a result and I move on. It's, you know, that, that's, that's a job. I think the purpose is that why people come here is they want to have a meaningful impact on disease. They want to cure cancer. They want to really understand why, you know, psychiatric diseases are happening, you know, the way they are. So, so we tend to, you know, look for folks who have that real kind of purpose driven, um, you know, genes, so to speak, um, and, and, and want to make a difference in the world. You bring a lot of young people into this organization just by the sheer, organizational structure. What do you do to support the careers of your scientists and younger families and millennials inside the group? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of um, in terms of being part of the Broad. The Broad has done, you know, and even before, long before I got here, so I, I can't take credit for, for some of these things um, or many of these things. Um, so the Broad's always been a place that's given young people opportunity. And I think that's one of the main reasons people come here is, is because they have the chance at a relatively early uh, stage in their career to just take on things that they just wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to. So these are, you know, big projects or leading, you know, collaborations or, you know, just really advancing their science in ways that they probably, you know, or maybe couldn't in, in other, other places. So, so we've, we've, we've been for the history of the Broad really just a place that attracts young, ambitious people because we get out of their way. Uh, we support them or we mentor them, but, you know, we really try and make sure that we're not in their way and, and holding them back. So I think that's had a hit or hit a real, you know, impact. You know, one of the other things we've spent a lot of um, effort on in the last few years is just paying, a, you know, closer attention to um, how do we support families and how do we support our female scientists, for example. And, you know, knowing that, you know, parents and, and, and female scientists in particular are balancing like an extraordinary number of, you know, things in work, outside of work. And that can be hard um, to manage all that. So the last few years, we've, we've done a number of things like increasing our paid you know, family leave um, you know, policies. We've instituted a, a child care financial assistance program that's targeted to you know, some of our younger scientists. And you, you know, can get up to $10,000 a year that supports them you know, for child care costs and things like wow. that. Uh, and we started uh, what we call our Broad Life Office. And this is a, a, gr a group that's dedicated to just thinking about and helping our employees with all the different things that are happening in their lives uh, to make things easier. Great. 
I'm going to shift to HR. And Andy, the reason I thought of you for this podcast is because in all of our conversations over the 15 years or so that we've known each other, I've always thought of you because as an innovator, because you always talk about, let's not just do something because that's the way it's always done. Mm -hmm. Let's try some new things. Let's, you know, let's try to think about the needs of the organization and our employees Mm -hmm. and uh, the outcomes we want to have. That's I think that's part of your brand. I think that's, you know, I've heard that from other people, not just in our conversations. Mm-hmm. It's something that you're very interested in. Maybe I'll start the question just by saying, you know, where did that come from for you? You know, right. why why do you think that way? Were there influences on your life? I know, you, were, you know, I think around the time we met, you went and got your master's degree mm-hmm. in OD. Maybe it was around some of that. But just where did that kind of approach come from? from you? Right. Where does it, right. you know, why is it so strong? Yeah, now, I'm laughing a bit because uh, my, my, my parents and my mom in particular often tell me that um, you know, even growing up, I, if, if there was a way to do things, I would always want to do it the other way. <laughs> and if you asked me to do something, uh, you know, I would not do it that way just because you asked me to do it. But if I thought to do it on my own, so... <laughs> The unfortunate part now is that's turn, that's coming back around to me with my my two young kids. <laughs> so I think it's just always been part of who I am, which okay. is you know there's a way to do things and the way, way people have done things, but there might be other ways. And I actually think working in this industry in biotech and life sciences is really kind of opened my eyes to um, there's a lot of possibilities out there, and there is no mm. one right way to do things. Right. And really trying to think about what's best for the organization at that particular point in time is just something that. Um, you know, as, yeah, it's always, it's always kind of driven me. Yeah, I think this industry might be a little bit more receptive than others, yeah, yeah. you know, to innovative approaches right, right. to management, leadership, HR practices, yeah. and policies. And I think it's a little different now, but I, when I was getting started in my career, I mean, now, unfortunately, this is 20 years ago, um, you know, the, the, the perception of HR was probably a little more old school. So at that point, I was purposely trying to show up differently mm. and to, you know, go against what was, you know, being done out there. You were already hardwired that way, but then yeah, but just based way to, on the way the... It's a way to distinguish yeah, myself. The from, image of the from, function. Yeah. yeah, the image of the function. And, and that, I just happened to find you know, places where that, that was, uh, you know, able to flourish a little bit more. Can you talk about some of the things you've done? I've known, I have known some of them. We've talked about them. Like at one point in your career, you instituted no set vacation policy. Take vacation as much as you need it. Call yes. it those kinds of things. Delinking bonuses. I don't know if you don't have bonuses here. I don't think, but uh, delinking yeah. bonuses from performance, right? Um, right. And other things like that. I think you've been right. exposed to some right. or you brought some of those things to organizations. Yeah. Can you talk about some of your experiences in implementing those things, successes, failures, learnings? Yeah. Yeah, to talk about that, I can talk about the, the, the vacation one as an example. And I know that that's a somewhat controversial idea. Is it good to go to no vacation or, or not? But you know, taking the, con- the, the that out for a minute, um, how we ended up with that at a former organization was, you know, we had this kind of core principle that, you know, we hire adults, adults are adults, and we should trust them. And it felt in that environment that having policies that felt overly, you know, hierarchical or trying to, you know, have adults worry about how many days were, it just didn't, it didn't fit for who we were. So we said, Hey, guess what? We hire adults who make all sorts of decisions in their lives outside of here that are far more complicated than when to take time off. Like, let's just remove that as a barrier for them. Um, so that, 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 that's an example, I think, of, you know, that in that particular culture, it made a lot of sense to do it that way. It doesn't make sense to do that everywhere, but for, for that place, it made, made a lot of sense. What were some of the outcomes? I imagine there was some just great, great things that you heard from employees and right. sometimes managers, I imagine, of those folks. Right. Right. Um, I'd like to hear those, but also where maybe it doesn't didn't work so well for people. There might yeah. be examples of both. I imagine mostly positive, but you can... Yeah, no, I think conceptually people like the notion that you're going to treat me like an adult. So I think that was very yeah, that was very well received and people you know appreciated that. Uh, I think the flexibility, we had a number of um, 
um, you know, international people, uh, folks who worked at that organization. So, you know, for them, like they might have used a lot of time this year, but maybe they want to go on a long trip home in the following year. So that worked for the type of environment that or type of person that was working for us. You know, I think some of the challenges in, in that, that emerged later on was it can be a little harder, particularly for more junior folks, um, to feel like they can take time off. So I think if you're a senior enough, you weren't going to worry about whether it's 10 days or 11 days or 20. You know, you, you weren't so worried about that, but it could be harder for someone who is, you know, younger in their career to feel like they could you know, advocate for themselves. So that was something that we had to, had to work through. Right. I feel like I should just be at work. Yeah. You know, or just be at work or, uh, you know, how can I ask my manager? I don't have, I don't have these days to go say I, I'm allowed to take them. So, right. Yeah. Um, so that, that was something that we learned yeah. and kind of worked through. I'm really interested. I mentioned it just a minute ago about the delinking of bonuses with performance and just the thinking behind that and the how do you implement that. I think a lot of organizations are wrestling with that. There's all this new thinking about performance management and yeah. annual appraisals and putting numbers tied to people and the demotivators that are that yeah. come along with that yeah. process. I imagine that's where the root, root of it was. But mm-hmm. can you talk a little about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, yeah, I think it's something that still hasn't been solved and, and I will not claim at all to have, have solved that. So, so the good news is in the organization we're working now, we don't have bonuses, so I don't have to worry about right, it. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but in previous organizations, you know, I, I think, you know, we just tried to look at what we were doing and just say, does that, does that pass like the, you know, practical test? Meaning like, I'll give you ratings as an example, 3.8. Every year it was 3.8 was the average. And like we go through this whole big process. Out of 4.5 point. Or 5.5. 5.5. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of, of the same number every year. So if you make an awful lot of work to go through to get to the same kind of outcome. <laughs> um, but doing, it, the it, yeah, doing the same thing over and over, getting the same yeah, results. Yeah, it's like, yeah, right, you know what that is, right? <laughs> right. This. Um, so, you know, so for us at that point, it was... Again, if you believe that people come to work because they're purpose-driven, if you believe that people who come to work want to do a good job and are adults, um, you know, how could we remove barriers that would get in their way, you know, mentally or, or, or just, you know, as they're thinking about their work? So in this case, it was, what am I getting get paid? Like every year, there was some variable, like, am I going to get this bonus, you know, or not? Um, so we felt in that environment that we should just pay people what they're worth. Um, and if they're worth X, X number of dollars, like, let's just pay them that. Like, why are we going through this whole, like, well, you know, did you get a 3.8 or a 4.1 or, you know, whatever the number is. And that, you know, was consistent with the values that we had there. So we said, fine, we're going to pick a number and we're just going to pay you that number and be done with it. Um, now we can still reward you if things go, you know, really, really well down the line and, um, you know, other ways. But with that, that was the real driver for us. Mm, um, interesting. Um, another area you innovate is you bring people inside your organization, the HR function, who have no HR background. You've done it, um, at least I know here and at your last organization, and we've talked about that before. Um, So why do you do that? Um, What are the benefits? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that's common practice. I think it's another place where you innovate. Yeah, no, it's it's something that I I, I learned early in my career. So fundamentally for me, it's exposure to... People just think differently than I do, right? So, so the team that I built here at the Broad, um, you know, I'd say a good portion of them have never worked in HR before uh, in any way, shape, or form, and I find tremendous value in that. So, um, you know, the ability for someone to come in and look at a problem, but not look at it through the lens of HR and what they've done. 10 other times from an HR point of view, like I find um, helpful. So I think that's part of what allows me to be innovative is I know I've got people around me who are going to bring different perspectives and different ways of thinking to the table. You know, it's not always easy because there are times where there are like things, things that come up that require like card carrying HR experience. So, <laughs> so this, there is a trade sometimes. So we, I, I certainly wouldn't go completely away from it, but, but yeah, it's been, it's been really amazing to have people with different it, backgrounds. Is there anything you can point to specifically, like an idea, an approach that came from 
you bring somebody from the outside yeah. in, in your back. It doesn't have to be here, just in your background where it's like, wow, that was, we never would have got that if I was only had HR yeah, yeah. people around me. I can so. think of a couple of examples on my, my current team. So uh, the individual who leads our learning and development you know, efforts, for example, he's never led learning and development today in his life until he walked through this door. Um, but what he did do in his earlier career was... Um, this is Ray we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, this is Ray. So yeah. Ray, if you're listening, <laughs> shout out to Ray. Um, he was a community organizer. So he, you know, political campaigns, like that's what he did. He thought about how do you get people out and get them engaged. A big part of the work here is getting people engaged and thinking about their development. You know, it's important to have high quality programs and we, we want to make sure we pay attention to that. But the fundamental thing that we wanted to make sure we invested in here was getting people engaged and thinking about their development. So, so that skill that he had turned out to be perfect for right. what we needed here. Um, so that's one example and that's been, you know, very successful. Sure. Um, we've also built a, you know, analytics function here and, um, you know, I'll give, we, we actually brought someone over from the science side of our organization who, you know, is a PhD in, in, you know, Hardcore science, who now brings a very scientific approach to thinking about analyzing people-related issues. So she speaks the language of our organization uh, and asks questions in a way that we wouldn't. Right. Um, so it's been it's been amazing. So it gives us access to data that we wouldn't have had before, but framed in a way that um, you know connects you know better with with our organization. You know, as you give those two examples, I, what jumped out to me, it's not just let's bring somebody in from the outside. It's like let's bring somebody from outside of HR that has specific skills that we need applied in our organization. Right. Right. So yeah. it's it's yeah. very strategic in the way you've done it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not not completely random. Right. Andy, I want to ask you about trends in HR and maybe just in management and business, because you know, social media has become such a bigger player mm-hmm. in all of our worlds. It affects how we attract and retain employees. Things like um, you know, we went from command and control management and leadership to more servant leadership. What other comments do you have about the trends we're seeing? And what do you see coming or what do you want to see come in the way we lead and run this function of HR? Right, right. That's a great question. One that I I think about a lot. So a few things come to mind. You know, one is I think the way, and I actually think Broad's been ahead of the game on this one, Um, again, long before I got here, but just this notion of what an organization means, I don't think is going to exist in the same way it does, you know, know, now as it will in the future, meaning... um, being part of like a you know traditional organization, I think there are going to be people who are consultants. There are going to be people who are you know more like gig you know economy type workers, and so the broad's been kind of already functioning that way. We have right. a lot of people that don't work for us who work for us, and that's just we don't care where they're. That's your structure. That's right? our structure. But yeah. I think many more and more organizations are going to end up um, you know going that direction. I think uh, I think a lot about keeping. Not just talent, not just attracting talent to the road, but attracting and keeping talent in the, in this case, the greater Boston area. So, you know, for example, you know, we do a lot of hiring, uh, you know, tech hire software engineers and you know, we're, we're competing against Facebook and Amazon and Google and all of those. They're all guys. here now. And yeah, they're here now, yeah. but, but I worry about people going to the West Coast, mm. right? So, you know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about and have had some really conversations with some some of my peers about how do we think about sharing talent you know, across organizations. Peers in the HR function and other organizations? Other organizations. Okay. You know, for-profit organizations. Right. So thinking about, you know, the, the, I shouldn't, we shouldn't be worried so much about competing with each other because guess what? The person you hire 
two to three years, they're probably going to come work for me anyway. So there's going to be this transition. So right. are there ways that we can partner to share talent with each other um, so that we can keep people here and keep the ecosystem strong and not have them, for example, go to the West Coast? Um, you know, we can't compete with the weather, but maybe there's other things that we can compete with. And right. I've been so, I found a surprisingly, you know, a surprising number of people really interested in exploring that concept. Um, so that's something I'm very excited about, um, you know, looking into or, you know, a little bit more. I haven't heard that before. That's, yeah, that's, that's something great. I think that's going to be... If, if the talent leaves here, we have such a great, you know, ecosystem of universities and other, you know, schools here, and and, and how, this whole biotech community that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, but, a, but even beyond that, I mean, the right, tech yeah. community as well. Oh, sure, just making sure we here and, keep people here yeah. is going to be you know, really important. Um, so that's that, that. That's another thing that I think is you know coming. This is the time for the Nira question of the podcast. Oh, and being a board member of Nira, right. you should be very proud to answer this question. And All the question right. is, <laughs> what things would you recommend to people newer to the HR profession interested in advancing in the function, right? Great question. So, if I think back on my own career, that, that probably the, there's a few things that really stand out. One is build your network. You know, early, early and often, as as much as you possibly can, because you never know. I, mean, I think we're a great example. I mean, we met each other a long time ago, and here we are now, many, many years later. And you never know what those relationships will become or you know become more important. So, I think early in your career, just getting out there and, and meeting as many people as you can, and not being shy about that. Uh, I know sometimes when you're younger, you're not so sure. Like, can I talk to someone who's more senior than me? Are they going to want to meet with me? You know, most of the most of the time, people are very open to that. So, I, I would I would definitely encourage people to do that. Um, the second is I, I would I would pick a thing that you want to be known for and good at. Um, so I think it's really important to have a good solid foundation where you can do lots of things. But um, I think the HR folks that I've seen be most successful have a thing that they're really good at. For me, it was doubling down on OD. Um, it will be another thing for somebody else, you know, down the line. Um, um, yeah, those are the, I think the by the two things that I would I would recommend. Good advice. And a kind of a follow up question. Actually, Beth Gross at TripAdvisor gave me this question. And the question is, if you could write a letter to your 30-year-old self, giving yourself advice. Well, that was just last career. year. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe for you, I actually, you're, you're much yeah, younger than me. I should probably say you're 25-year-old self. <laughs> <laughs> advice about your career. What would you, if you could write it now to your 25-year-old self, what would it be? Never be afraid to ask for something. Um, and I don't mean just personally, but I think uh, I've been surprised at many points in my career where there were things that I thought the answer would be no, or I thought you know people wouldn't be open to it. But then I asked the question, and it turned out people were very open to those things. And you know, it took me a while to realize that, but it's probably been one of the you know, most fundamentally important things that I've come to realize in my career is you don't know until you ask. And sometimes the answer is no, and that's fine, but keep asking because there might be opportunities to do really amazing things. So people surprise you. People yeah. surprise you. Right. Like, we discount that. Yeah, you can discount point. it yourself. You know, oh, there's you, no way they'll you do that. You talk yeah. yourself yeah. out of it. And right. the reality is like, that could be a really interesting idea that they didn't even know they were interested in. Right. Um, so that, that's advice I yeah, would, would have liked to have given myself. <laughs> so this goes back to a, this is another HR question. Mm -hmm. um, would you recommend people um, go, if they're in HR, to get expertise in another department before trying mm -hmm. to advance in the function. Right. Would you say go out and come back? You've always been in the function of HR. I've always been in the functions. I feel like I'm becoming a bit of an uh, you know an anomaly in that way. So I feel like you know, the 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 trend is that many folks have gotten the experience outside of HR before getting in here. But what I will say is I've, I've been seeing this, um, and I, I think this might even be true of TripAdvisor, since we've talked about this, folks, is you know, HR is 
it's a uh, realm of influence is I think increased beyond just traditional HR. Um, so sometimes that now encompasses IT, it encompasses marketing, it encompasses facilities. Um, I think that's the real future here, and it's it's not just about you know HR as an individual department, but thinking about the entire employee experience and everything that um, and a person is going to touch and come you know come in contact with as an employee of your organization. Like thinking in a very different way, um, from I think is where this is going. So I'll give an example in my world now. I'm responsible for space uh, and facilities and thinking about how we utilize our space, not just you know, what's our, you know, do we have enough, you know, lab benches to do our work, but, you know, how do we think about the ways in which we design our space to make sure work is happening in optimal ways. So it's a, it's a whole different way to engage, you know, the business or engage the organization. And I think HR professionals are, um, you know, very well suited to, to, to lead, you know, in these types of areas. Yeah, that is definitely a trend we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. I think we mentioned it earlier, Andy, that here with the bro, you have got some great exposure through your board. Mm-hmm to some of the uh, those West Coast tech companies that you were talking yeah, about yeah. before that use metrics and kind of the money ball philosophy of, of HR and some other things too. And who have you been exposed to in that arena that's um, affected or impacted your thinking um, that you've been impressed with that you want to apply or tried to apply um, and other key influencers mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that you might want to talk about? Right, right. Yeah, we are, um, I think, fortunate to have a very, uh, you know, an amazing group of, you know, board members who are supportive of, of the work you do here at the Broad. And um, it's been a real, uh, it's a uh, fantastic opportunity for me to have you know, the opportunity to engage, you know, with, with that group of people. Um, so I, I was fortunate very early on, uh, we had a board field trip, I guess, for lack of a better you know, term, where we did get to go out to the West Coast and visit some of, you know, some of the leading organizations on the, on the West Coast. And um, I did get to spend some time, you know, some pretty significant time at Google, uh, learning about how they think about, for example, analytics and how they use analytics very in a very practical way. So you know, that was something that was incredibly um, helpful to just see it in, in action. So they're, you know, they're many years ahead of where we are because they've been doing it for so long. But to be able to talk to some of the early pioneers and you know, applying analytics to um, you know, the people space was... Can you get us in there a little bit and let us give a sense of what it's like about yeah. how they use analytics? Yeah, so I, I think what what one of the things I walked away from there feeling like they do, you know, just a really great job of is is being taking things that are abstract concepts and just making them very practical. So that that really stuck with me. So it it be you know it's great to have a nice you know paper about what's the effectiveness of a team and all that kind of stuff. But they they're really great at reducing it to practice. Like okay, manager, here's the three things you should do to make your team be more successful. Or you know you know employee, here are the three things that you should be thinking about doing to have a more successful you know career arc here. So I felt like they did that. That just really stuck with me. And then we've tried to incorporate that as much as we possibly possibly could here. Yeah, so that was you know, that was a that was a fantastic experience. Um, I've also I, I, um, Adam Grant, who's a professor down at uh, Wharton. Um, you know, he's written a number of books, and one of the books of his that I read that had a strong influence on me was Give and Take, and it talked about you know the importance of you know giving to people and sharing your wealth and, or sharing your knowledge and connections, and you know that reciprocation you know over the long term like really is important for building one's career and building success of the business and. And Adam has been, you know, like a fantastic, um, um, you know, connector for me. So this is a guy that I didn't even know, and I reached out to him, and he was totally willing to. Back to your earlier point, just yeah, to ask, just right? ask. Yeah, right. I was totally surprised. I mean, this why would this guy enter my email and you know, do anything for me? And you know, remember he hopped on the phone. We spent forty-five minutes. I did no introduction. You just called him out of the blue. No, I had an introduction. Okay, I had an introduction, yeah. but you know, he gets 
right. you know, plenty of these things. Right, right, right. was just very willing to make connections, and some of those connections you know, blossomed into, you know, projects that we're doing here at the Broad. So, um, yeah, so, you know, and, and that just the concept of that book, I mean, it was really nice to see him actually living that you know, that concept and giving, you know, of himself and of, of you know, his, his network and ideas as well. Can you give an example of a project <clears throat> that's come out of that work? Yeah, sure. So... So the Broad is founded on this this notion of you know collaborative science and working across you know all different boundaries and you know it struck us at some point that well what 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 does that actually mean um, like what does a successful collaboration actually look like so uh, we have a project going on right now with someone that Adam introduced me to uh, at Harvard Business School where we're trying to study the components of you know team success so this is a you know research project guided by you know senior Harvard faculty and you know graduate students and you know we're really trying to analyze different ways in which um, you know, we can get more insights into how our teams are functioning so that when we set them up, like, we can be just be much more practical and precise and with our, our advice to how these work. But that was all part of, you mm. know, just, just getting into some of these conversations and being introduced. And what are you learning about teams through this work? Have you early results already? Or? Um, we're still we're still early days here, but one of the questions that we're, we're trying to really, un, you know, unpack a little bit more is, um, you know, to what extent does team identity influence team performance? Meaning... You know, in our case, like, do you identify with your home organization? Do you identify with Bro? Do you, do you identify with your team? Like, wh where does that factor in? Um, and, you know, how can we strengthen that connection and identity such that it will improve you know, outcomes down the line? So, and one of the other projects that we're working on um, that kind of resulted from these conversations are... Um, getting a better understanding of why people decide to leave the Broad, um, or any organization for that matter, but in this case, we care about the Broad. So it, it struck me at one point um, that I would often go to our senior leaders and I could report and say, here are all the people who left, and here's why they left, but they were gone. <laughs> you know, it was, it was kind of too late. And it just struck me as a very odd thing to be doing is, you know, Dave left last quarter, and you know, he's got a great new job, and you know, I hope the next day it doesn't leave. Um, so we're, we're trying to think about, well, how do we get ahead of that? Uh, wouldn't it be great to be talking about the, you know, the 20 people or the 10 people that might leave next quarter and then actually do something proactively about them or, you know, to influence that decision? So through a combination of engagement survey data, and we also did a retrospective analysis of, you know, everyone that left the road over the last 10 years, we tried to hone in on like, what is it? And at what time point are people starting to think about when they leave? So we, we affectionately call this project the retentionator. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the idea being, you know, could we, predict, yeah, could we predict, I, I can't take credit for coming up with it, but you know, could we, could we, you know, you know, in quotations predict who might be thinking about leaving. So, you know, factor, do you run to their office when you find out who they We don't do that quite yet. We're still, we're still training the model as, as they would say, and, and, but it's been very insightful. So we've learned, for example, that, um, you know, once you're in, you've been in a role for about, you know, two years, just under two years in our context, you know, you learn what it is your job is and you start to think about like, well, what's next in my career or am I getting proper recognition? So there's a really, there's a very susceptible point there where at the lack of those things, people are likely to leave. Um, but if you are providing some of that, you know, career advancement opportunity and recognition. In this case, we found that people were far more likely to stay. So we looked at the influence of role change around two to three years. Um, you know, it turned out that people were far more likely to stay. A new challenge, there. something yeah, different. A new challenge. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be a promotion per se, but right. but that now gives us that practical insight. So we can go to managers and say, 
hey, look, you've, there, there's there's five people on your team who are in that spot where we know they're probably thinking about what's next. You know, how can we help you help them think about what to do so that they don't think about going someplace else? So it's a great example of, um, you know, I think different disciplines coming together. So from the business school, from our analytics team internally, partnership with the, the rest of the organization, that just to take something that's kind of this out there and make it very practical. Great success. Most CEOs don't come from the HR function. That might change. Maybe that might, have you? Do you know any? Is that something that you think? Do you think it's a problem? Do you think um, how are we going to fix that? So I don't think it's such an issue that HR folks aren't necessarily in you know CEO jobs. I think you know the way in which the modern CEO becomes a CEO is they've had lots of different experiences, right? So maybe they've been in different functions. Maybe they've actually been leading an HR function well, but they wouldn't think of themselves as an HR professional. Um, but my experience is. Um, I think that breadth of experience matters more than coming from a particular function because they've seen things from different perspectives and understand what the different functions bring to the table. It's, I guess it goes back to your point you made before about just getting why you bring people outside the HR function yeah. to your organization. Yeah. It's the same reason somebody right. could move to the highest level in organizations because yeah. they have yeah. that very background. What's the first thing you do when you get out of bed in the morning? Some so we'll get some silly questions in handy. So yeah, first thing is when you get out of bed. I don't have the chance to get out of bed. I have a almost six and almost three year old. So <laughs> before I have any notion of getting out of bed, someone is already there kind of trying to get me out of bed. So someday I'll have that problem again. Where what do I do when I get out of bed? Well, this follows. feed me and um, you know when can we do what are we doing today? <laughs> well, that leads to this question: What gives you energy? Because you probably need some after waking up so early right, with right. your kids. In the last five years, I've become a, a, like a really uh, avid runner. So believe it or not, actually running gives me energy, mm-hmm. even though I'm subtracting energy when I run. So it's, it's, uh, you get it back another way. I ways. get it back. I right, get it right. back. So it's something I do. Um, I actually run home from work. Um, so it's a, it's a chance for me to, that's so that decompression zone. So it's a chance to separate. You run right from, out of the Stanley I, building. I, I run as fast, sometimes as fast as I can. <laughs> I don't even change into my running clothes. I just, I just run right out of there. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good recharger for me. Well, Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.